you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, and Tim Seymour. Tonight on Fast, Tom Lee shocking the crypto world with some bearish comments on CNBC earlier today. But the Bitcoin Megabull says reports of his bearishness are exaggerated. He still sees Bitcoin going to the moon. He'll be here to set the record straight. Plus, Tesla skidding into bear market territory as CEO Elon Musk goes on yet another Twitter rant. Are the shorts getting the best of Musk? We've got the details. And later, subscription-based stocks are soaring, and we're not just talking Netflix here. We'll tell you which stocks the traders say have more room to run on this fast-growing trend. But first, we start off with the rally today. Stocks surging into the close. The Dow, S&P, and Nasdaq all closing near the highs of the day. But despite the rally, there was a distinct defensive bent to the action today and the last few weeks, in fact. Check out the move in utilities, staples, REITs, and telecom all surging in the past month, and a number of left-for-dead food stocks going crazy today as we head into the trade wars. A hiking Fed and potential global slowdown is defense, your best offense. Pete Najarian, what do you say? You know, I, I've never liked it. I've never subscribed to that whole idea. Mm -hmm. I, I Although still you go, played defense. I, I did play defense. You're right. I was a middle linebacker, so, that, so. that's 100% true. Okay. No, but uh, you know what? I don't like the idea of if there are better reasons than just defensive reasons to go to a Kellogg, to go to any of the names that are out there that, that had unbelievable days today. I mean, one of the names that, that stands out for me is Kroger, which everybody put out for dead after the big buy of Whole Foods from yep. Amazon about a year ago. Stock went from 29, got all the way to 20, bounced back up, and here it is at 29 again. But I think that one makes sense. I think they're able to compete. And, and as long as you can compete in today's environment, I don't look at somebody like that, Kroger, for instance, as a defensive stock. But, you know, let's, let's not uh, just totally push off to the side. Technology had a great day as well. So it wasn't just, I mean, there was defensive names, but technology was off to the races once again. But, but when you talk about names that are defensive, Pete talks about a name with a, with a story behind it. Story. So when you look at some of these other names, these food stocks, mm -hmm. they have stories behind them too. So you see M&A in the space. Technically, they look like they're breaking out. Utilities to me is what Pete said, defensive, but they could pass on the rising rate environment to clients, to customers. So I think that is a defensive play that I would stay with. The other ones food are- Food stocks are not. Food stocks, case-by-case case basis, I would have to look at technicals because we truly don't understand how long that M&A pop can last in a defensive world that we're living in now. Is there, isn't there something to buying a stock that sells stuff that people need all the time? Well, uh, and that has a yield, a decent dividend yield that could help buffer you from, from downside? Well, theoretically, but uh -huh. where do they buy that stuff? They buy that at a grocery store. And what's happening to the grocery store industry, right? It's getting... Mm -hmm more and more consolidated, there's more power in fewer number of hands. So that changes the balance of power between, you know, a, a Kellogg or a General Mills who used to be able to just take price, take, you know, they would were, they were be able to raise price at will. And they can't They anymore. can't do that anymore. And so private label also is pushing in. The other thing for me, a dividend is, is the wrong reason. The to buy. wrong reason, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're going to see inflation. We haven't really seen much of it. 
lately, but I think we're going to see it. So the dividend provides me this much protection. You could lose the whole dividend in a day. I, I, I think they're defensive because I think they're offensive. Offensive. Mm -hmm. Not offensive, but offensive. I mean, I <laughs> like, think like you hate them. Well, like, oh. These things were getting <laughs> okay. so pushed around. And if you think about the rate scare that we had, Kellogg's, you know, dropped 20, 25% during that period. And I think Kellogg has very real drivers. I think they have one of the best balance sheets in their space. There's a high short interest. Their margins are growing. They've got this direct store experience. They've got different reasons. Their snack business. These are all excellent reasons. But I think in a rising rate environment, I still think we're in a rising rate environment, at least the short end of the curve. I think the market overall goes through a compression period. I think these stocks are very expensive. I think these stocks were very, very attractive when, when rates were almost zero. And in fact, people were willing to pay more and these stocks made. And because of their, their the dividends that Karen's loath to, to really chase, which I think she's right, um, that's why. So how again, back to AT&T. How expensive are they? Same deal. Well, huh. it, it, I think I think these guys are trading anywhere from 15 to 20 percent past their five-year averages, and if you if you look at that, I think a lot of that's except a, for maybe Kellogg. I mean, the one pushback I'd have, and I agree with everything you were saying on the positive side with Kellogg, but the, so the, it made sense. It's not necessarily defensive, but at a 15 PE, if it's last couple of years running at a 17, it's a little bit sounds like it's actually not that bad, even though it's hitting highs. So that's one of the names. I think there are other names out there, but that name's actually kind of intriguing to me. The fact that they're so doing that could be a defensive stock. In your well, view. I don't. I, but I don't want to buy a defensive. I want to buy a stock that has growth. You mentioned uh -huh. the, some of the margins, some of the efficiencies that they've moved towards. All those reasons actually are what pull me in, Mel. The fact that maybe we look at it as defensive, that's not anywhere. It's right up there with the dividend thing. It's one of the last things that I'm looking it at. It is odd to me, though, that Kellogg specifically is, is butting up against resistance that's a year ago old and actually broke through. So yeah. there might be something a little bit more Tech under the hood technically and maybe mm -hmm. fundamentally that we don't know yet. So everyone always thinks, do the technicals show at first and the fundamentals follow through later? I don't know, chicken or the egg. But right now, technically, Kellogg sets up. I think your M&A, which you mentioned at the beginning, that right. is something. That is a potential catalyst. We'll see. I mean, right. if Campbell's doesn't get any price or doesn't get a good price... Then the others sell yeah. off, right? right. But I, and, and I would just, you know, look at. I know AT&T obviously has a world of stories around what's going on there. Um, but AT&T and Verizon and a lot of the big div stocks and a lot of the big yield plays in, in telco and, and utility land. I think we're hammered, and I think we're now getting this kind of relief. I think it was overdone. I think people realize we've talked about it in the last couple of weeks. Look at that 10-year chart. You may have a head and shoulders. You may see rates going back to 260. I think we will. So, I mean, I think that's been a major boost. Yes, you, you've had uh, the backdrop of global trade wars be a reason to jump into some of these things. But as Pete pointed out, I mean, you know, the semis have been pretty badly beaten up. But yeah. if you look at triple Qs, um, we're still, you know, bouncing along in the 50. That's a chart that's not really in trouble to me. And I think I'd rather own that in a difficult time. We said those are defensive stocks. Right. So if defensive stocks are not defensive, in your view, Pete, <laughs> technology is defensive. Well, I think it is because the fundamental story is there and the growth story is how there. Can technology, that, uh, how can technology be a great sector to be in when you need defense and when you don't need defense? Well, you know, out of both ways. I'll give you a great example of a defensive stock would be a Microsoft. Look at the valuation, but also look at the growth. When you look at the growth in the cloud aspect of it, which is exactly what Satya Nadella was set out to do years ago when he was established as the CEO, he looked for the growth area that he came from. That's where they're going. And when I look at their dividend, when I look at their buybacks, and I look at all the fundamental story of a Microsoft as one example, I think that there's a great opportunity. I think $100 seems a little bit cheap, actually, right now for a Microsoft. I think it's a $110, $115 stock. Well, if you, if you ask Pete that, that same question, go back five years on performance. Five years ago, we've had some areas where we needed def defensive stocks, where we needed some growth stocks, and technology, by and large, has outperformed for the last five well, years and probably longer than that, that as well. Does that make it defensive? 
That makes it both. Unfortunately, right now, we're dealing with a headwind of a trade war that puts it right, right in the bullseye. But ultimately, when the smoke clears, this is both offensive, not offensive, <laughs> and defensive. So let's go with, let's see how offensive some of these defensive stocks are. What we're going to do right now is trade it or fade it. Like it. Yeah. Kellogg. A, a, nice, a nice little game. Let's, Let's start with going. Kellogg. I mean, we had a nice, robust discussion on Kellogg, Tim. I think you trade it. I think you trade it. Again, I think management here is in a very good place. <laughs> I think you buy it. Trade it, mean buy it. Yeah. Yes, it does. It's yeah. so clear. I don't know why everybody <laughs> doesn't be confused. get that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know Guy's not here, but I just want to make sure we're yes. all on the same page. Yes, I, I, would be, I would stay with this rally. I would trade it, and I would stay long. Pete? Totally agree. And I look at the valuation like, like we were talking about. At a 15 PE forward, this... Cheap, actually. I think it's going. It's a trade. Clorox, Karen. Mm. Clorox. Mm. Eh, I mean, I don't know. I don't love that. I, I guess I would sort of fade it. They're, none of them are crazy expensive, right? But the, the idea to me to, oh, I'm going to get out of something that I really like because this may outperform for a month doesn't make sense to me. Right. I'm not going to do that. So I will fade it. Okay, I, I would fade Clorox as well. And, and I go back to what I said before, when I don't know what the fundamentals are going to be going forward, because no one truly knows. I look at the technicals. Technicals are, it looks like it's failing right now at prior resistance, so I would fade that one. Church and Dwight, Tim. I tell you what, very diversified brand. This stock's been on a tear. I think some of this is, is due to, again, management guidance and better margins, and I think they do very well in this environment where the consumer has more money to spend. Uh, I'll trade it. I'll trade it. Pete? The story's improving. Uh, the, the, the margins, as you talk about there, uh, they are doing what they need to do to put themselves in a position Broken for out 2018. Too. Yeah. And so because of that, I'm going to trade it as well. 16% gain in one month. That's amazing. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, well, the S&P has been stuck in a range in the last two months. Our own Steve Grossel here says, watch out below. So mm. which levels are you watching? So let's, why don't we just take a look at the levels? It's easier to explain with, uh, with an actual chart over here. So when we look at this, we're... This would be, when you, when you have to look at a, fib, a Fibonacci retracement, you have to look at the biggest standouts, what the key levels were. So right here, you go to the all-time highs in the S&P cash, and then you go to the recent low right here of 25.32. That's the way you, that's the prism with which I look at the marketplace. So when we step out of it here, we are sort of in an increasing trend line still, but the level that is a must hold is 26.91, which was the recent low from last week. But when you look at this and you, and you bring back the lens a little bit, we have a rising 200-day moving average. That moving average is 26.72. So I'm a little out of sorts here, but let's just do it this way. So I can't, I write too big. So 26.72 is the 200-day moving average. We have to test that level. When you look at the most recent high, the most recent low, you come up with your FIB bounce level. It's between the 50 and the 618, wonky levels. All you need to know is stare at that level. We break that level, we're going much lower, and we are going to head down probably to 2,600 in the S&P, which spells out disaster for most bulls. Hold on, Steve. So what's, if we break 2,672, you say, you know, the end is near because so, we've, we've actually been testing around that range yep. now for three weeks. So, so you get another hiccup, Tim. I'd rather bail at that level, and you could always buy it back on momentum. So if we, if we hit that level and we trade down to 26.35, that's the ultimate pull the ripcord. 
then you want to trade down aggressively. You want to get out of your lungs. But people have been very, I think, bullish on the S&P holding 200-day, and yet um, that 200-day at least was, you know, around 2,600. I realize, as you said, it's moving higher. Right. Um, you'd almost think that those are the levels it needs to hold. So, so ultimately, when we get down to that level, those old lows, I, I agree with you. But if you look here, if, if we had the ability to broaden this out, what does this look like to you? We have a shoulder, we have a head, we have a shoulder here. This looks like a head and shoulder setup to me in the S&P, which means that re, uh, short term, you could look at a collapse in the, in the market if the trade war fears do not dissipate shortly. So, Steve, let me ask you something. You had that level, I think it was 2672, you said. When yes. you say it hits that, does that mean it closes lower than that? It trades through that intraday? What do you mean by that? On a closing basis. So I do believe there's technical damage when you see it intraday, when you hit that level or trade below that level. But everything that a technician does is done on a closing basis. So we have to close below that level for it to be significant to most people that do chart work. Steve's going to come back. Come on, back. Come on, lonely here without yeah, you. You're invited. Thank you. All right. <laughs> 2672. Okay, that's what we will watch. Thanks, Steve. Coming up, Tesla shares nearing a bear market as CEO Elon Musk once again takes to Twitter to silence the naysayers are Musk's antics, hurting his stock, plus Bitcoin bull. Tom Lee wants to set the record straight after some controversial crypto comments on CNBC earlier today. Is he really as bullish as he says he is? They'll be here to explain. And later, it's the one sinking stock that Karen Feinerman says could be about to make a major turnaround. She will give us the name. We are live at the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more Fast Money. Still ahead. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. wants to be all by themselves, unless maybe, of course, you're Elon Musk, the outspoken Tesla CEO, lashing out again on Twitter, this time trolling journalists from a number of financial news organizations, his latest outburst adding to the list of reporters, Wall Street analysts, and short sellers like Jim Chanos that Musk has gone head-to-head with recently. Phil LeBeau's in Chicago with the details. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa, it was an active day for Elon Musk early in the day on social media, and we're not going to get into all of his tweets and and play what was said by him as well as others back to him. But suffice it to say, when you look at what's happened with Tesla and this stock and, and really what Elon Musk had to say today, it really comes down to a couple of issues. One, motives of some of the reporters who have been writing about Tesla over the last couple of weeks questioning what were their motives for writing particular articles? And second of all, when it comes to analysts and some of the comments that they've made about Tesla, what's their track record? Are they fully being uh, exposed if they are wrong about their predictions? Um, that's an interesting topic that I know you guys will talk about in a little bit. In terms of shares of Tesla, it has been a rough week. This stock was trading at just over $360 a share after the Q2 deliveries came out on Monday morning. Look where it's at right now, under $310 a share, down roughly 14%. And the big issue 
for Wall Street analysts right now, it comes down to what's the production rate that can be sustained for the third quarter, particularly when it comes to the Model 3. Yes, they hit their production target of 5,000 Model 3s in the last week, in that one-week period, in the last week of the second quarter. Can it be sustained? We've already heard from some analysts, like Ephraim Levy, who's like, I'm not sure that it can be sustained. We're still waiting to hear from other analysts as they weigh in over the next couple of weeks, although it'll be interesting to see how many of them weigh in on that or if they wait until we see Tesla's earnings at the beginning of next month. So it was an active day, to say the least, Melissa. Yeah, and, and Phil, you know, what's interesting about this one is that the bulk of the declines that we've seen in terms of taking a look at its one-week performance or seven-day, whatever time, recent time frame you want to see, is that the bulk of the losses came on that uh, report about the braking tests on the right. assembly line. And you put it into context really well earlier. I mean, can you explain to people why maybe it's taken out of context that they're not doing braking tests on the assembly well, line? Well, people hear, people hear that they eliminated a brake test, and they might immediately think, uh-oh, they're not checking the brakes on these cars once they're built. That's not the case at all. Tesla made it very clear, and they were clear in their statement to us, that what they've done is eliminated what's called a brake-and-roll test because they believe that it was redundant as part of the manufacturing process because they also checked the, te uh, the brakes, do a number of different uh, checks when they test drive those vehicles out on a track after they come off the assembly line. So from Tesla's perspective, look, we can eliminate part of the manufacturing process that we consider redundant. We're not compromising the safety because we're testing those vehicles. But the reason that this is getting some attention on Wall Street, Melissa, is because it speaks to the question of, did you eliminate that step so that you could speed up the production process? Now, Tesla says, look, we're always trying to streamline our process as much as possible. Nobody's suggesting that they cut corners, but it was an interesting look into how they were increasing production uh, in that final week of June. But again, nobody has said that these are unsafe vehicles that they're building. However, when you say anything regarding brakes, people immediately go, wait a second, is the, t is the safety being questioned? So, Phil, it's Steve Grasso. So, I am uh, still long the stock, so I'm a bull. So, I want to look it through the way I see it. Do you think that this is a learning experience for Elon at this point. So a lot of negative headwinds. He had a ramp up production. There's a lot of questions about how he did that. But do you think ultimately this is a learning experience for him going forward, even though the granularity seems negative right now? I, I, it's hard to know for sure. My guess is that Elon Musk on a regular basis is learning more and more about how to streamline their production uh, facilities and how they are ramping up, and how can they do it smarter, more efficiently, day in, day out, especially since he's taken a more active role in the production of vehicles. Whether or not he would ever come out and say, yeah, boy, we made some mistakes and we've learned from it, there's no way to know for sure. But I, I would bet that he would be the first one to say, look, we're always learning what we can improve upon. All right, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau in Chicago for us. Amid all this, Tesla shares, they're back in bear market territory, down more than 17%. Uh, from this recent high. And, and it didn't, hasn't bounced off of that initial report, even though the way Phil put it into context, it would seem like in any other tape, it should have perhaps bounced yeah. back from that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I just wish, and I like Elon Musk, I think most everybody, all of us do, we love his innovation, but you kind of wish he would just get back to the business side of what he's doing and kind of get away from the whole trolling thing. But it is who he is. He's, he's a guy who's out there and he's, he's willing to be out there. I think the interesting thing for me about Tesla is, the stock price has been absolutely incredible. It still remains incredible. It's holding on to a support level that Steve was just showing me over here. 
The derivatives markets are the way to play Tesla right. because it is so volatile that I think owning the stock or being short the stock is just an absolute incredible way to try to play this thing. It's, yeah. it's, it's too much. It just seems to me, though, I mean, the price action really, I, I would argue that it's, it's been extraordinary, but I wouldn't say it's incredible. I mean, you know, and again, 380, let's get through that level, and I'm not saying that they had to get right through where they traded right up there. Stock's down. If you, if you do the peak to trough, it was almost a 19% move in three days. The big issue here is, is really they're getting to higher volume. Can they do it? They've missed, they've missed quarterly numbers uh, on deliveries for the entire fleet for the last four quarters or since they started pushing the Model 3. It's almost had a bigger effect on the rest. So that's, that, that's the risk with this, this company. It's not that Elon Musk isn't a visionary. It's not that they don't have a great portfolio. It's not that this isn't great technology. But you've got a mass market valuation in the stock right now. That, that makes no sense to me. They have not proven they could they can produce this many vehicles, and I think the competition. And this is, is the first up. time we've seen them be held accountable to production. I mean, this is really yeah. myopic on production levels. When you price the stock as a growth stock or a technology stock, and Elon Musk. Wait, it's because so many things hinge upon hitting those production right. levels, yeah. right? You have Buy to achieve the, the margin, right, right? Exactly. Well, are they going to be profitable? They can't right. do that unless they right. get production. I mean, targets. excuse me. I wonder, right? Was it buy the rumor, sell the news? Finally, they got there. Right. Okay, so, nearly sell to the, the news, day. Yeah. So, but the other thing is to make this a, a instead of a 24-hour, we're just sticking everything together at the end, doing anything we possibly can to get it as a real mass-produced model. How much will that cost? I still don't understand why they don't raise debt. Why not do some kind of convert rates or I mean, they could they could they could do it for an attractive. I think they could do a pretty huge offering for an attractive price here and buy time. What if I mean, it's certainly possible they run into some meaningful headwinds. I mean, this is the mass market car. Yeah. That's what the story is. We need mass production. Right. So and, and that's expensive. That it's, burns it's cash. hard to do. Yeah. It's also not something you just walk in and do. So. Well, if you can't get enough of Elon Musk or Tesla, you can head over to CNBC.com for all the latest. There's a great article on Elon's battles with the media, including this one. <laughs> Still ahead. It's the Einhorn Exodus. Investors are fleeing the billionaire's hedge fund at a rapid rate, but are any of the names in this portfolio worth a second look? We've got the details. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. It's not out of the question that it could be over 20000 by the end of the year. Crypto King Tom Lee shocking the world with a surprisingly bearish comment on Bitcoin. But Tom says, you got it wrong. He's still a bull, and he'll be here to clarify. Plus, last time Karen pitched a stock, it rallied 12% in three months. Now she has a name she thinks will do even better. That stock when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your 
your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com, that's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin is back. The cryptocurrency rallying 10% in the past week despite a late-day sell-off. Let's get to our Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange for all the details. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. Oh, here's the good news. Melissa's right. Bitcoin's up about 10% in the last few days, though it did drop quickly midday. That's a little mysterious. It's not clear exactly what happened here in the middle of the day. Now, some note that electronic payments company Square has withdrawn its application to get into the banking business. That's according to American Banker. That was a big news deal back in June. New York financial regulators granted Square the go-ahead to allow New Yorkers to trade cryptocurrencies on its cash app. So today's drop may be due to concern that there may be less future volume in cryptos. Now, there's not much good news for Bitcoin recently, folks. It broke through the psychologically important 6,000 level. You know that. Last week that happened. It's still in a long and even a short-term downtrend. In fact, the last time there really was a rally of any note was way back in April when Bitcoin went from about 7,000 to almost 10,000 in about two weeks. But it hasn't done anything since then on the upside. Now, there have been some reports that volumes on some exchanges have increased in the last few days as Bitcoin has come back a bit. Now, that may be true, but a few days is a very short time horizon. And a lot of these foreign exchanges have, uh, shall we say, questionable monitoring tools. I'm being kind when I say that. Watch the volumes at Coinbase. That's what I do. This is the largest U.S.-based crypto exchange. Now, if you just take a look at the dollar volumes, look here. In the last few months, they have been clearly on the decline. It's down about 80 percent from the February levels to the June levels, and it's down four months in a row. You can see that clearly. Here's what I want to see. Let's see if we can at least get July levels from dropping over the June levels. Just bottoming out at this point, Melissa, would be a victory. Back to you. All right, Bob, thanks. Bob Pisani at the NYSC. Our next guest sent shockwaves, shockwaves mm, across mm, the crypto scary. market <laughs> when he made these comments on CNBC earlier today. Bitcoin's historically traded at two and a half times its mining costs. So it's not out of the question that it could be over 20,000 by the end of the year. Now, Bitcoin would still have to rally over 200 percent to reach 20,000, but the $20,000 comment was interpreted by some as a sign of bearishness. Now, we may remember, even as Bitcoin has plunged, Tom Lee has stood by his 25,000 year-end price target for Bitcoin. Tom, though, is back to say reports of his bearishness have been greatly exaggerated. Tom, thanks for coming back. <laughs> It did take me about, I was there at, on Spock Box with yeah. you this morning, and it did take me aback when you said over 20,000, instead of saying 25K. So do you stand by 25K? Well, I do think it's the first time I've ever heard someone thinking something could triple is a bearish comment. Yes. Right. Um, I may have misspoken a little bit. I think what I was trying to illustrate was that given where mining cost will be, and applying the historical average of two and a half times mining cost, that would imply fair value over 20,000, roughly 22,000. So I don't, you know, we still think Bitcoin can reach 25,000 by the end of the year or something like that. Um, but it's still a huge move from where it is now. So you're not bearish, and I, I get how that's completely exaggerated, taken out of context, but it doesn't sound like you're as bullish. We've had Bob, Rob Slimer on from your shop as well. And at the, at the charts, he would put Bitcoin up. 
He would come over. I would ask him. So, it, you know, is 25K possible? And he's like, it's going to be hard. But, yeah, uh, that's the forecast. I, yeah. Um, if you look at the history of Bitcoin, I think a couple reasons why 25,000 is still possible is, one, I mean, Bob has pointed out, you know, Bitcoin moved, you know, from 7,000, 10,000 in a couple weeks. But from, from a historical perspective, over any six-month period, 35% of the time, it's more than tripled. So in other words, it's, you know, in a t any typical period, Bitcoin could triple, you know, one in three times. So I, I think it's not out of the question that Bitcoin can make a big move from here. And I would just point out what makes it unusual today is that Bitcoin's trading below mining cost. And six months forward, now this is only, of course, you know, roughly 10 years of history. Uh -huh. Bitcoin's had a positive return in nearly 100% of instances whenever it's traded below mining cost. So I think the risk reward is still very asymmetrically positive for Bitcoin. This, this rally's got to start soon, though. I mean, you say six months out. We're six yeah, months into the year, uh, so we have six months left. Yes. The challenge is, of course, Bitcoin's quite volatile, and it's only got a 10-year history, but it is in the entire history, it's always been a good time to buy it below mining cost. So I don't understand why mining cost is necessarily a floor. I mean, we've seen in other things, the cost of mining gold, for example, things trade below that. Why is it necessarily something like a replacement cost? Why is mining cost necessarily a floor? Well, mining represents, so let's, let's imagine Bitcoin's a commodity. So mining represents the flow, right? Because it's the block reward. And so in any commodity where you're looking at flow, incremental cost does actually explain or govern uh, the price. So, for instance, the all-in sustaining cost of gold is actually a, a tachometer or a speedometer that really gold trades around. Gold stocks have historically traded pretty tightly in a band of price to book. So Bitcoin isn't a great buy when it trades one standard deviation above its uh, two and a half times, which is like over three, like three and a half. And it's always actually a good buy when it's trading below one times. And it's, it's unusual to trade below one times. Okay. So you're still bullish, clearly. Yes. Um, I am do... jet lagged, too. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, but while you're here, we want to get your opinion on some other coins. So we thought we'd play a little um, would you rather. Would you rather with Tom Lee. Crypto style. So I'll give you two cryptocurrencies, Tom. You tell me which one looks like the better of the two for the rest of this year. First and pairing, he's jet lagged too, Melson. So I know, slowly, I know. So we'll be, gentle. be nice to the man. Come on. Bitcoin versus Ethereum. Would you rather? Uh, Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Uh, yes. And it's because, you know, I think that the investment case for Bitcoin is a little easier because it's a store of value. It's got a long history. Ethereum has some competition. We still like it, but it has competition. Bitcoin versus Litecoin. Uh, we'll take Bitcoin again. Now, no offense to Charlie. You know, our Charlie cousin, Lee. Charlie yeah. Lee, yeah. But I'd rather own Bitcoin over Litecoin. Okay. And we're going to end this with Ripple versus Bitcoin Cash. Um, I'd pick Bitcoin Cash over Ripple. Uh, because, you know, I think in some ways Bitcoin Cash has some unique features relative to Bitcoin, so there are some merits to owning it. I want to do a bonus round with you. Oh, okay. Wow. Bitcoin or U.S. equities here to the end of the year? Between, between now and year end, you know, we think the S&P can do mid to high single digit gains, right? That would get to our roughly 3,000. And I think Bitcoin can easily do well beyond that between now and your end. So I'd rather own Bitcoin. But of course, you know, it is riskier, so it's right. different than owning an equity. Okay. Tom, thank you, despite your jet lag, <laughs> for joining us. We appreciate it. Tom thank Lee you. of Fundstrat.
Well, I tell you what, I, I tend to agree with Karen that I, I, I have trouble with this whole, uh, essentially, the cost of mining, because I don't really think it's a commodity. I don't think people really, I, I see that target moving around. Um, I think Bitcoin, to me, is probably range-bound, and I think we're waiting for an event of some kind that's going to be the catalyst. There's no question that people want to come in. I think you need the retail guy back in, and I think retail is sidelined. All right, still ahead. Sign me up, Scotty, because as Netflix and Amazon have soared this year, a number of other subscription-based stocks are on fire. We'll tell you which ones the traders think you can still buy. Plus, Karen is going to step up to the plate, getting ready to pitch one stock that just hit a year-to-date low, and she's about to make a major turnaround. She says it's about to make a major turnaround. Find out what has her swinging for the fences when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Back in April, Karen said it was time to buy lows. In the last couple of months, stock prices come in a lot. The P.E. has come down a lot. It's below the market here. And I think there's a couple of things that could go right here. And today's sell-off, I think, creates an extra opportunity. So I think there's a number of catalysts. Put them all together. And at this price, I like lows. It was a great call. The stock is up 12% in less than three months. So what are you doing with Lowe's now, Karen? Uh, I like it. All the reasons that I liked it before, I still like it. Still stick with it. Stick with it. Nice. All right. Let's yes. get another pitch. All right. All get right. up to the plate, Karen. All right. Bring some heat. Okay. All right. So today's pitch is <laughs> United Rentals. What do I like about United Rentals? For me, the first thing I always look at, of course, is valuation. So we look at United Rentals on a P.E. basis. It's very attractive at about 10 times. It's below the average for this over the last several years. So I like it on a P.E. basis. I also like it on an enterprise value to EBITDA, which sort of corrects for debt because this company does have debt. So it's cheaper than its peers and it's cheap on an absolute basis. So for those two reasons, I think the valuation is attractive here. The other thing I like about it is their very strong strategic position. They are the number one market share by quite a bit. After this new acquisition that they recently announced, they're probably at about 12% of the U.S. market. The next closest competitor, which is Sunbelt, is at about 7 and then a distant third is Hertz. So I love that strategic market position. And I also love that they are very U.S.-focused. Almost their entire business is in the U.S. So while we're in the middle of this trade war, being in the U.S. is my favorite place to be, but doesn't mean they don't have any exposure to the trade war. I think they do. They buy machinery that could get caught up in the trade war. But I like that they are so almost universally U.S. focused in their business. The last thing that I really like about it, last year's headwind has now become this year's tailwind. And that's their exposure to the oil and gas business. They did a somewhat ill-timed acquisition, and it really weighed on them. And we're seeing that start to turn as they get increased utilization from the equipment that they have that has exposure to the oil and gas business. And the last thing that I want to go to is the chart. So let's see. Right up at about here, it was just under $190. And that was at the market a little past its peak. But before we really got into some of this trade war stuff, here we are today. It rallied a few bucks today. But going into today, it was about 145 So it was down about 24% over the last not that long, two months or so which I think is really overdone. I think it's trade war. I think there was a little bit of a disappointment the other day on an acquisition, which actually really wasn't that big at all. I don't think it was a big deal. So for all of those reasons, I like United Rentals right here. I bought it about, right about this level where it is today. And I've owned it on and off for the last year or two, off for a while, but now I'm in. 
United Rentals, right here. Tim, you got a question. Yeah, Karen, I, I just, I'm a little puzzled. I think it's a great story. I see a lot of tightness in the rental market, and it is the ultimate economic kind of litmus test. Is it the fact that it went from 100 to 160 and it priced in so much growth? Because this move of late, I, I get trade wars, doesn't make sense to me, and the whole sector, arguably. I'm sorry, I'm not sure your question is saying, is there something else going on, which is why it came down? Or, is or, did it, or, or is it already priced all this good news in on the global economy and certainly the U.S. economy? Because it, it had a big run. Yeah, I don't think it's priced in. In fact, the stock came down a little bit after the first quarter, and they told you on the call, they said we had a little softness in weather that's turned around. We won't see that until this quarter's numbers, and you'll see that I think it's July 18th or 19th. So I think things are moving along nicely, and we'll see that coming up in the next earnings call. All right, time to vote here on the desk. Are you buying Karen's pitch on United Rentals? Petey, what do you say? Karen's dead on. URI, this is an absolute buy. The valuation levels that we're looking at right now, and I think the, the tailwind's behind them. You're exactly right. This is going back to 190, Karen. So that is a buy, because buy doesn't buy. appear on your, uh, on your uh, whiteboard. Yeah, okay. Just clarifying. Well, I said buy. Well, I said buy. Because the question is, do you buy or sell? Trade it. Trade it. First time playing the game. Trade it. First time. Grasso. So I do, I, I've been uh, in and out of URI. Karen's had a great call on URI. I do say sell it at this point. I wonder, uh, I wonder with the corporate tax cut and the new uh, plan, tax plan, I wonder if that changes the immediate expensing, changes corporations or changes businesses that actually buy, don't rent. I could be lost in the weeds somewhere there, but I do think that tech, uh, technically it looks like a bad entry point. Well, negative. Tim? I'm buying. I'm buying what she's right. selling. Um, stock went from 70 to 170. I think a lot of price is priced in there, but the reviving energy sector I think is another catalyst that will probably take this stock higher. Buy All it. Right. Two buys, one sell here on the desk. But the more important question is, would you at oh. home oh. buy Karen's oh, yeah. pitch on United Rentals? You can vote now in our Twitter poll. We will reveal the results later on in the is show. Is that Tony Braxton walking? <laughs> I think it Hopefully is. The uh, investors are signing up in droves from one group of soaring stocks, and they all have one thing in common, a subscription model. Our traders will tell you which ones are worth the subscription and which would have you hitting the unsubscribe button. Much more fast coming up. Welcome back to Fast Money. When it comes to companies with large subscriber bases, everyone knows big names like Netflix and Amazon reign supreme. But quietly, a number of other subscription-based stocks have been surging. For more, let's go to the man we'd never cancel, oh. Dom Chu, back in the newsroom. Hey, Dom. Well, I hope that puts me right up there with the Amazon Prime or Netflix subscription, right, Melissa? I mean, but, but all kidding aside. Growing and relatively predictable streams of revenue are just things every company wants. And while we focus a lot on the Amazons and Netflixes of the world, a slate of other subscription-based stocks have been showing some interesting upside price action over the near and medium terms. We're going to call them the sign-me-up stocks. For example, take a look at satellite radio provider Sirius XM, which some folks might be using to listen to Fast Money as we speak. Those shares have taken a hit over the last few weeks, but over the last three months, they're still up around 10%. We're going to stick with the music thing. After debuting in early April in an unconventional public listing, streaming music company Spotify shares, they're up 21% around there in that last three months. Moving towards another media company, but on the news side of things, you've got the New York Times up around 12% in that time frame as well. And we're going to finish off our sampler plate of subscription stock specials with a couple of lifestyle-oriented companies. You got online clothing stylist service Stitch Fix up around 35% in the last three months. One of the most impressive, though, price momentum stories for the last couple of years has been Weight Watchers, posting around a 58% gain during that span. 
Now we're north of 100 bucks a share now. Melissa, the same time two years ago, it was less than 12 bucks a share. Back over to you guys. All right, Dom, thank you. Also worth noting, our own Jim Cramer has been hot on the rise of these subscription stocks, these subscription economy, if you will, even calling it, quote, the best secular trends in the market. So we thought it'd be great to time play, to play, excuse me, I've been up for a long time, uh, to play a little game we're calling subscribe or unsubscribe. Oh, huh, okay. Okay. Do that. More clear than some of the other yeah, games. Yeah, I mean, this is... Okay. Just, okay. Good. Yeah. I understand it. All right, so it's very simple. I always think the rules are very simple, but then they tend not to be simple at all. They're simple, the only way around They're the simple. Yeah. Some around people are overly simple. On certain stocks, if the traders are buying, they'll say subscribe. Get if you're buying, you subscribe. If you uh -huh. are not, if you're selling, unsubscribe. You deny it. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, so we're going to kick things off with the Weight Watchers. Tim, okay. subscribe oh. or unsubscribe? Uh, by the way, you look great. Thank you. I, you know, I, all thanks to... Um, I'm unsubscribing on this one. I, I think it's been a remarkable story. You never bet against Oprah, and in fact, so hopefully you didn't. Um, but this valuation, around 70 times, they've got major goals for the future. I think the balance sheet still has too much leverage on it, and I think that will thwart some of their growth, but it's been remarkable. Uh, take your money and run. Great job, Oprah. I, I'm out. I will say you have to subscribe, and here's why. The day that she stepped in there and bought her 10%, the stock was $7. I think when you look at this last quarter, and they had record numbers for subscribers, mm -hmm. up 28% year over year. I mean, their numbers actually That's do great, justify it, where they are. Isn't it a strong quarter, a seasonally strong quarter? Huge quarter. Yeah, and they, but it also... And they, but when they willing to pay for shakes, Pete, I mean, at some point, the margins don't add up. I mean, you know, yeah, but you don't frappe. It is, oh, it is, it and is, also, you look is, great too, thank pal. You, but, you thank know, you. Their retention I, is unbelievable right. as well. Nobody, so. nobody unsubscribes. It's so sticky because if they fail, it's your fault. If you do well on it, it's to the credit of Weight Watchers. So it's extremely sticky on the subs basis, and people just kind of keep it. It's almost like a Netflix. You so, never. So it's, you worth, nev it's worth 80 times sales or 70 times. Uh, it's, times it's, it's, it's up 130%. Exactly. And, I, and I'm guilty of missing this one. I thought it was a sell real early, and this thing has defied everything for me. And I do believe that everyone that I've spoken to on so a grassroots basis, says that they love it. I would subscribe. subscribe. Earnings right. growth, okay. growth right. I mean, unbelievable. Spotify's uh, the next stock. Spotify, mm. subscribe or unsubscribe? Karen. Yes, uncharacteristically for me, subscribe. Really? Well, I absolutely love the product uh -huh. and have loved it for a long time. And clearly the thing about these kinds of models for all of these businesses is, I mean, if you get a critical mass, every additional subscriber that you get, that margin is gigantic. So... I think they have that critical mass, and it's a great product. The valuation is tough to swallow, but subscribe. I'm a subscriber, too. I have to tell you, I mean, and there's a lot of room in this gross margin right now to, to offset what I think are going to be contract royalties uh, to artists that, that probably should go higher. Um, but I think they figured out how to coexist with the music industry, and I think, frankly, they're rocking it. But they're Spotify. losing money annually at an absolutely incredible rate. I mean, I, th that bothers me. And I, know, I know what the stock looks like since the IPO, but I'll tell you what, this is, it's going to absolutely cripple people, I think, because the competition's there, Apple's there, it's, not, it's too difficult for them to survive. All right, coming up. Speaking of hot trends, Jim Cramer has been all over. The Madman is back tonight talking the hottest IPOs of the year so far. You can see him in the Cramer cam there. He is all fired up. All that and much more top of the hour on Mad Money. Meantime, more Fast Money right after this.
Welcome back. We've got breaking news out of Washington. President Trump making some comments on tariffs moments ago. John Harwood has the details. John. Melissa, the president's flying out to a political event in Montana, and he just spoke on Air Force One a few minutes ago with some words that will rattle the markets because he, instead of dialing back his talk of trade conflict with China, he's dialing it up. The president said $34 billion of pending tariffs will go into effect tonight. Another $16 billion in two weeks, that's 50 total, and he said that eventually he has got ready $500 billion worth of tariffs after that in two chunks of $200 and $300 billion. That on top of the conflict with the European Union, with Canada, with Mexico, uh, makes for a very unsettled trade and commerce situation for uh, businesses that both export and import. Uh, and we will see whether he follows through with those words, but those were the words he just had on Air Force One. If he follows through on the word, I mean, is there any question at this point, John, that come the stroke of midnight, we will see the first round of tariffs in place? No, no, okay. no, no question on those. That's tonight. That's just a few hours from now. But he's talking about $516 billion in tariffs in the future. And I suspect that even though Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, has said there's no level of market turbulence that would cause us to turn away, I'm sure that uh, Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, has a different view. So we'll see how those conversations play out. But there is no reason right now to expect uh, that the president has any interest in turning back on this trade conflict, even though it threatens the economic recovery and threatens to undercut the impact of his tax cut. All right, John, thank you. John Harwood with the latest out of Washington on this. Uh, Steve Grasso, the markets were very resilient ahead of the jobs report tomorrow right. and the tariffs being put in place. So, so I think that people thought that the president might be backing off a little bit, and this doesn't sound like he's backing off, which you would not expect in the 11th hour for him to back off. He's trying to negotiate. You don't start to be soft in the 11th hour of negotiation. So I fully expect him to push really hard. He's going to go through with whatever he said, but we'll see what happens come the morning light. All right. Well, one stock that could get wrapped up in the trade wars is GM, but traders made some bullish bets on the name today. Let's get to Mike over the plasma with the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so we were taking a look at the activity that we saw in General Motors, which traded three times as many calls as puts today. And the reason... A lot of the uh, action that we saw was actually in the January 45 calls. We saw a single block of those. 5,000 were purchased for $1.10. Now, this happens to be the option in General Motors that has the most open interest. So this could be opening. It could be closing. We'll know that tomorrow. This, obviously, if it is opening, is a bet that the stock's going to be above 46.10 by January expiration. And even if it is closing, that is still an indication that the stock could actually be going in this direction, because obviously that's somebody who doesn't want to keep that short call position on any longer. And one other thing I'd quickly point out, we did also see some bullish flows in auto suppliers, Borg, Warner, and Dana. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. For more options action, check out the full show. That's tomorrow at 5 p.m. East, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Excuse me. Up next, final trades. As Fast Money fans know, Karen was recently away on vacation. What you may not know is that she was in the U.K. holed up in her hotel listening to marathon sessions of oh. Unbreak My Heart. Oh. Yes, Thousand miles yeah. away, she still yearned for the soulful sounds of Tony yeah. Braxton. All right. Who could have seen That's that coming? Tony and I are tight. We are like the <laughs> time, time the for time. the final trade, Pete. Going to the financials, private equity, KKR. I'll get you done. Giddy up. Grasso. Alibaba. Keep buying it. Karen. Me and Tony. 
long night in rental. <laughs> Tim. Plant Trader faded on Mexico EWW. I'd be fading it. Big move. Get out of there. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. Sit back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.